literally guys yeah. rolling the barrels over mm-hmm. and hand putting them over mm-hmm. top of the fires yeah. and then kind of like stepping back for yeah. a few seconds, letting it do its so thing. It's a tough and job then, in the and summer. You're like, jump in there, yeah. and get a smell. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's like <laughs> 10 huge fires. I'm scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like keeping my arm here today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> This is episode 240 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and I've got this week's Bourbon News Roundup for you. Woodford Reserve is releasing its annual limited edition high-proof expression, Woodford Reserve Batch Proof. This year, it's bottled at 123.6 proof, and this expression is part of the annual Masters Collection Series. Woodford Reserve's proprietary batching process for this release is done by blending barrels into a batch and bottling the whiskey at its actual proof straight from the barrel. The batch proof is crafted using the same grain bill and process as Woodford Reserve, and this limited edition collection is available in select U.S. and global markets with a suggested retail price of $129.99. There's a bill working its way through Olympia that would address what seems like a monopoly on selling liquor in Washington State, and it's House Bill 2204. In 2011, the state liquor stores in Washington State let private businesses sell alcohol, It came out of Initiative 1183, but some big corporations like Costco and some grocery chain stores seem to get the bigger benefit out of the initiative because in order to sell spirits, you needed to have a location with over 10,000 square feet. A new bill would actually let smaller businesses sell spirits, and last week, that bill passed out of the House, Commerce, and Gaming Committee on a 10-to-1 vote. So soon, you can get your bread, milk, beer, and bourbon at a convenience store Across Washington State. An Australian couple stuck on a quarantine cruise ship with cases of coronavirus on board have managed to get their wine delivered by drone. Posted on Facebook by Jan and Dave Binskin on February 7th, the couple provided an insight into the life on a quarantine Diamond Princess cruise ship off the coast of Japan, and more specifically, getting wine onto the ship. The Naked Wine Club received the request from the couple who wanted to know if they could get their wine delivery while stuck on a ship, and to everyone's surprise, they accepted. The couple posts stated that two cases of wine were delivered by drone to the ship and said that the Japanese Coast Guard had no idea what was going on. I don't know about you, but having bourbon delivered by drone is something that I can start getting behind. A Tokyo restaurant chain has opened up a small pub in one of the city's busiest train stations, but It has a robot bartender serving drinks to commuters on their way home from work. Called Zorokin Robo Tavern, the bar is located in Tokyo's Aikipakuro train station and is owned by Yuro Notaki, a company that operates a chain of casual restaurants for after-work drinking around the country. This pilot program will run for about two months. But here's the kicker. Consumers will first pay for their drinks at an automated payment kiosk and receive a QR code of the receipt. You scan that receipt at the robot, and it takes about 40 seconds to pour a glass of draft beer or a little under a minute to deliver a cocktail. But also, the robot has a set of cameras built into its screen to monitor the emotional state of customers, tracking whether they're happy or if they're growing impatient. So look out, bartenders. The robots are coming. Vending machines that dispense spirits are becoming more common around the country, but mostly in establishments such as restaurants or bars that already sell alcohol. Anheuser-Busch and InBev recently introduced Beerbox for use at concerts, sports arenas, and music festivals. And back on January 31st, the first district court of appeal in Florida overturned the state's 2017 denial of a residential condominium to sell beer and wine in vending machines. This was originally met with criticism from several trade groups, including the Beer Industry of Florida, Florida Beer Wholesalers Association, and the Florida Independent Spirits Association. But the court struck down the division's order in that nothing in plain language of Florida law prohibits the sale of alcoholic beverages through automated dispensing machines. So who knows? Now you can get your bourbon soon through vending machines. Now today on the podcast, we talked to Paul McLaughlin. He might not be known to you yet or his cooperage, but the story he shares and how they hone their craft is like no other. We had the opportunity to tour Kelvin Cooperage and get a behind the scenes tour of their barrel building process. It's amazing how everything is still very labor intensive 
and he's using machines and tooling that have been a part of their process since the early 1900s. We discuss how he got into the family business of running cooperage from Scotland to Kentucky, and how he dives into their process of toasting on natural fires and really what makes their product different than any other cooperages around the country. Then we dive into some of the fun part about the economics of a cooperage and what they're doing to satisfy the growth of worldwide demand for used barrels. Now, make sure you're also following us on social media and you can see some of the pictures and videos from our visit to Kelvin Cooperage. And if you aren't a supporter of the podcast on Patreon, I encourage you, please go and check it out. In the past two weeks, we've released two Elijah Craig barrels, a 1792 foolproof, and a Willet seven-year rye that we all selected with our Patreon community. These are now all sold out, but you don't want to miss your chance to get your hands on the next one. So view all that we have to offer of being a part of this community at patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button because you're probably missing out on all of our bonus content. Every Tuesday, we release a two-minute podcast called Whiskey Quickie. And if you aren't subscribed, you won't see the bonus content that we post. But hey, if you're listening on Spotify or iHeartRadio, you're all good, and thanks for being a listener. All right, let's get on with the show. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Jar. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. Listen, it happens. Sometimes we buy a bottle of bourbon, we get home, we taste it, and it tastes like musty corn or stale potato chips or drywall or some type of plastic or chemical, and we just completely dismiss that brand, whether it's new or something we've been tasting for a long time. We taste it, and in that moment, we're like, yuck, I don't want it. Now, I've been doing this long enough to know that there's a lot of pieces that go into making American whiskey. From the time that the whiskey goes into the barrel, the time it gets into your bottle, there's probably hundreds of factors that could influence the flavor. Things that you don't even think about. Like, for example, there was a distillery that recently found hunks of corn in their pipe system. So as it was, they were pumping it into the steel, they found little hunks of corn that were getting stuck at kind of like a collar part. And what would happen is, is that corn got moldy and it started spewing out all kinds of unwanted bacterial flavors and notes. And it took them a while, a few bad batches before they figured out the cause of it. In fact, when you go to a distillery and they're on shutdown, you can't take a tour, chances are they found something like that. They find it quite frequently. Very recently, I was at a distillery. I'm not going to name who it was because it's a new distillery. And right before the bottling line, I learned that they had this PVC pipe before the the whiskey got to the bottle. When I was tasting it out of the barrel, I was like, my goodness, this is fantastic whiskey, especially for a young distillery. And then when I tasted it out of the bottle in in their tasting room, it was absolutely different whiskey. I tasted this really rough, edgy, plastic note. And I told the distiller this, and he said, well, you know, it could be this uh, PVC pipe that we have here. And I was like, I'm not telling you that it's that or it's not that. All I can tell you is that I taste plastic. And he changed it. Now, look, I hope that changes the flavor there. And it was indeed the plastic that was causing that. And that distiller is no longer going to have to worry about it. But the reason why I point this out to you is we tend to be very critical and very judgmental about the whiskeys we drink. And we tend to stay focused on things like warehouses, mash bills, yeast. But the fact is, there's a whole lot that goes into making whiskey. And those mechanics, those repairmen, all the people who touch every single inch of that distillery, they all make an impact on the flavor that you taste. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or my website, fredminnick.com. Until next week, cheers! Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. 
You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here uh, on the Shively side of town, the lively Shively. But I don't know if it's a Shively. Shively or outer no Kelowna. Uh, but I mean, this is a uh, this is a part of town, and, and not only that, just I was just talking about Louisville. But you know, really, the topic of today is is talking about one of the biggest factors that goes into contributing to the flavor of the whiskey, flavor of bourbon, and that is the barrel in itself. Yep, distillers like take all the credit, but. It's the it's the wood. It's, it's the magic <laughs> it's, that happens yeah. inside of that. And and you know we were just walking around the plant, and uh, you know it's it's always humbling and awesome experience to see. Just you you kind of forget how much labor is involved in like from barrel to bottle, and like you just get an appreciation of like. So now every time I want to say a bottle sucks, I'm not going to say it because I just saw a bunch of guys sweating, working their asses off. And like, it's really cool to see that, you know, whiskey is is. one of those things that there's just so many hands involved in it. Yeah. And and we're going to talk more about some of the process and what we just saw. Um, We just took a tour of the facility to kind of get some context of, of the situation. And yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's a, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of machinery involved, uh, but there's it's not as heavy as automation as like a bottling line. No, nope. um, there's still it's a very hard laborious process. There's a lot of quality control and quality checking that goes into it, uh, and and not only that is uh, we'll talk about the fire and it's very unique compared to a lot of people with inside of the industry mm-hmm. here of how they how they toast and how they char barrels and and how it is going to derive a, a distinct profile at the end of the day for it too. Yeah, and I know why our guest wears black shoes. Uh, walking <laughs> around, uh, Kenny had some Chuck Taylor, white Chuck Taylors on. It's like Ooh, those are gonna get <laughs> rookie move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we just had our guest chime in there. So let's go ahead and introduce him. So we have today we have on the show we have Paul McLaughlin. Paul is the co-owner of Kelvin Cooperage. So Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank thank you for having me. Absolutely. Delighted yeah. to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we kind of get in talking about the business and talking about uh, barrels and stuff like that, let's talk about you um did you ever growing up i mean so by the way if if, if people didn't catch catch on you have an accent right so slightly yeah yes. so you're not yeah. from like the south like really deep south alabama or I'm something not from shively no <laughs> <laughs> yeah no so we i grew up in scotland um and my family there had a small cooperage uh mainly repairing barrels for scotch whiskey industry so it was a pretty small operation uh, so I've been around barrels all my life and swore I would never work for the family business. So <laughs> Was the name Kelvin? It was uh, Kelvin okay. Cooperage, yep. Yeah. So my dad started Kelvin Cooperage um, when he was young, served his apprenticeship when he was 15, and then started the Cooperage when he was about 21, 22. So, you know, I had a good run with that. With that. And then in the early 90s, um, we realized that... Um, you know, it made sense to repair the barrels in the U.S. before we shipped them to Scotland. Mm-hmm. It was a very simple idea, but it was quite revolutionary at the time. So we was, was this because a lot of stuff just ended up being too damaged by the time. It well, got you're, you're shipping bad wood. You know, freight's expensive, so why not maximize your freight costs by shipping mm-hmm. only barrels that are ready to fill without needing to be worked on? So that was kind of the genesis of our move to Kentucky. So we came here, or or 
my brother came here, uh, Kevin, who's the co-owner with me, came here in the early 90s and uh, started out doing repairing used bourbon barrels and sending them back over to our customers in Scotland. That was right around the time that American Oak was being dis- kind of rediscovered for wine barrels. Um, so we started making wine barrels, and that was where we learned how to toast and, and treat wood um, the right way, you know, slow toasting and everything. Um, and then, of course, craft uh, bourbon came along, and we jumped in uh, with two feet into that. So why why did you say you would never jump back into it? And then why did you jump back in? <laughs> why would you do anything with uh, with the um, barrels? You know, w- working with my family, you know, I know that that's a tough dynamic a lot of times, and it's proven to be at times. So I wanted to avoid that. Um, unfortunately, the way I avoided it was by becoming a lawyer. And, <laughs> and after a few years as a lawyer, I would have done anything, including working with the family. So <laughs> here, 20 or so years later, here I am still. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's let's also talk about, so your family was, was already doing this for the Scotch whiskey industry. Correct. I, I'm assuming that, you know, in growing up over in Scotland, and people probably say the same thing about us being in Kentucky. I mean, I guess whiskey was was probably pretty common in the household then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All, all was a, a blended scotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just the, the standard, like, bourbon is here. Yeah. You know, that, that was all people drank. Although growing up, it was more of an old man's drink. Mm-hmm. You know, it's certainly not where I started out. Yeah, where did yeah. you start out at then? Oh, uh, you know, pint of lager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I still like a pint of lager. So. <laughs> yeah. Was there a turning point for you when you said like, oh, I can, I can probably get on this whole whiskey train too? When I moved here, yeah, um, I, I found bourbon much more approachable than than uh, Scotch whiskey. You know, to start learning about whiskey, uh, much more drinkable. And uh, what was what was the the thought process in your head to that? Because I mean, we've we've had Scotch before, and you've got such variations of single yeah, malts, and yeah, you've yeah. got peats and um, non peat, and then but then like you got the the corn side of it that brings this sweet flavor. So what was your kind of it, it was just trying bourbon when I moved here. I'd never really drank it before, and uh, everyone was drinking it. So I thought, well, <laughs> give, it, well give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. everybody's yeah, beat them, it, join so them. Yeah, might, so. well. might as well act and, like a local. And it and it was good. You yeah. know that that was the light bulb. It's like, wow, this this stuff is good. It's got some complexity. It's a bit more interesting than just a beer or a wine. Um, you know, so it's a nice change of pace what did you what were your first thoughts when you came to kentucky and like how did it compare to scotland like oh, yeah, in regards shock. like uh well i moved here from southern california so that was a culture shock oh, wow. you yeah. know i was living on the beach in southern california working as a lawyer so coming into this environment yeah, here this, it was isn't necessarily um, like, san diego yeah. no no it, it was a big change yeah but you know I'd, I'd been and visited so i knew i liked louisville and i liked the the kind of the countryside you know, the rolling hills um, around here remind a lot of people of Scotland, and I, I felt the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and there's, um, you know, friendly friendly people, um, terrible climate. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> worst. Yeah. It's like, but you know, it, it, we, it is good for know, aging whiskey, though, because that's the only thing. And for seasoning wood, so it, yeah. it, works, it works out well. Uh, but no, we've loved it since we've been here. You know, my, my kids have been born and raised here, so we're, we're all in. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so kind of talk about uh, the genesis of of the of this cooperage as well, because um, your brother came here, kind of started it, and then when did you say like, okay, what, what was the what was the turning point when you said I'm ready to start joining the family business? What year was that? I came in 2001. Okay, 2000. So I'd been practicing law for four and a half years at that point for a big, big international law firm doing kind of soul crushing business litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly petty discovery disputes. So looked at the the young partners, which was what we were all aspiring to as, as beginning lawyers, and they were all pretty miserable. So I thought, why am I... Oh, you work yourself yeah, to why, death. Why am I aiming for that? So uh, my wife was, was working at the same law firm as me, and we both just said, we need to get out. Mm-hmm. So family business. Here, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Ready yeah. or not. Yeah, yeah. I'm so back. yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. So you 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 started here. Um, now was it hard? Was your brother your boss at first, or did you kind of like how? Yeah, that's that, that's all part of that um, family dynamic. Yeah, that I was uh, a bit 
hesitant about is joining. Is he older or younger? He's seven years older. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. It would be uh, awkward if he's younger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would be really awkward. Uh, and, and he also served his apprenticeship in, in Scotland, so he's a, he's a fully qualified Cooper, which I'm not, and which he reminds me of uh, regularly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, there, there's some fun dynamics going on. Yeah, so talk about the, the different dynamics. What did like you said, your brother's uh, the cooperage. What do you bring kind of to this business that maybe still trying what, to figure that? Yeah, out. still trying to still trying <laughs> yeah. to find your own. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we have a great time running it together. Um, it's it's a very relationship driven business. You know, you you'll have seen that with the people you've talked to. You know, we're all kind of collegial. Um, we've got very long term customers, so we have, we have a great time, um, and it's an interesting bunch, especially this new kind of craft whiskey it's brought in a bunch of very interesting entrepreneurial different people all of whom have a really great story and you know they're great fun to work with were those relationships set before you came on board or were Uh, were you having to go out and like knock down doors be like yeah i want your barrels or buy ours (laughs) you know you know and that's what we tell some of the younger people here is it hasn't always been this way you know whiskey wasn't always booming so yeah we did have we had times where you know we couldn't sell barrels and we had to find new homes for them you know we were knocking barrels down and shipping them to china for flooring um you know that they were selling for less than ten dollars a barrel a a used barrel you know which people can't imagine now (laughs) You know, they're in such high demand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we definitely go through cycles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one's just been a really good one for a really long time. <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nobody yeah. nobody has podcasts on cooperages <laughs> when, uh, when things are in a downturn. I went the first probably 18 years here without doing any interviews at all. Mm-hmm. No one knew we were here. Knew, no one cared. And, you know, now we've had, you know, podcasts, video productions, radio shows, you know. You like, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do my work. Yeah, we are now. It was a novelty for a while. And then we're like, nope, done. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And so kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, the process here uh, and how it's a little bit different. Uh, from some of the other ones we've we've had brown foreman we've had independence dave on the show and kind of talk about like where the process what you do how it's a little bit different how it's unique to to kind of anybody else and not only that is is you're doing both ends of the spectrum you're also creating barrels you're also brokering and doing a lot of sales too yeah so on on our new barrel production the, the big difference between us and some of the ones you mentioned is scale we're tiny compared to independence dave and and brown foreman um, so we're not nearly as mechanized. So it is a lot more um, physically labor intensive, intensive um, a lot more hands touch the barrels. Um, so we are, you know, on a, on a really good day, we might be able to do 500 barrels, uh, new barrels, which sounds like a lot. But, you know, if you think of other cooperages doing two and a half to 3,000 a day, mm-hmm, gives yeah. you an idea of, of the scale. That and, I mean, Heaven Hill fills... 1300 barrels a day exactly (laughs) yeah so we can't keep up with someone like that so so the barrels we're making um we're doing them uh, a lot more physically intensive our toasting and charring is all done over natural fires uh using that wine lesson we learned about how to treat the the wood with uh, with a long slow toast uh only once it has a toast layer in there do we allow the barrel to actually ignite and char um, and we really believe strongly in that um, that toasting process. It adds maybe 20 minutes to the time the barrel's on the fire. So that is a huge constraint on our production, but we're not willing to give that up. Mm-hmm. We, we could double our production tomorrow by cutting that out and doing a, a two-minute gas fire burn, but we're not going to do that. There's no gas anywhere near these barrels. Yeah, kind of talk but, about your, your reasoning behind the, the toasting as well, because I know that you know Brown Foreman's typically always known for for toasting their barrels right. to um, independent state, not as much. So mm-hmm. kind of talk about your your idea of, of why toast. So the idea for me, and it again comes from wine barrels, is your toast layer is an additive layer. Char is an extractive layer. It's like a carbon filter. So it's going to uh, extract um, some of the undesirable young flavors that you get from the new make spirit. Whereas the toast layer is going to be additive. It's going to add those nice, sweet American oak notes that we've all kind of grown to love, that kind of um, 
I always describe it as marzipan. There's kind of a nutty, almondy. Um, Our listeners are Fred. very familiar with marzipan. Fred, yeah, Fred okay. Minigal love you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he loves but, marzipan. But, but that's what we're going for. And it gives it that kind of, um, gives it kind of that middle palate that you're looking for, um, fills it out in the mouth. Um, and you know it when you smell it. We smelled that toasted barrel back there, and I think you all got it immediately. A lot of people describe it as campfire toasted marshmallows. I definitely get more of the marzipan uh, note, but that's what we're looking for. Once we have that, then we do the char. Char is important. They're going to interplay. The char, in addition to doing all the extractive work, obviously gives the color as well. Um, so we want that interplay. And as the, as, as the spirit um, expands in the hot months and goes into the wood, and then contracts in the winter. It's going in and out of all those nooks and crannies we create um, with the alligator char, and it goes all the way into that toast layer and then back out again. So that that's it's the interplay toasts and char is exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, has that always been the process in your family's? I guess making of barrels, or is it something? When, when we were doing wine barrels, it was all about a slow toast. Okay, um, and that that's what we learned, and we we play around with that on ways to slow it down, and you know, do different things, ex- extend the toast out, get deeper penetration, and we're applying that now to to whiskey barrels. The natural fire is an interesting aspect to this. I know. Um, I've never seen a natural fire. Yeah, and yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's something that it, it is. Uh, it's something that I. It, it almost the the equipment was something that is very reminiscent of a campfire. I mean, like these little uh, metal uh, kind of like tube things that you put in, kind of right. harness everything in there, and you kind of you kind of control it. Uh, I wanted it, to bring a Boston Bud in here or something, <laughs> like, like uh, just, be like the perfect yeah, like, hover over great. top yeah. for Smoking. a few hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, kind of talk about what the the differences in in going with a natural fire versus somebody. Um, and that's mostly what the big the big guys do is they have a, a an automated system. The barrels set up. You you count down and it's like three, two, one, and then the right. you, you see this massive like flame come up, and then it's there for eight seconds, 15 seconds, whatever it is, and it's done. So kind of talk about uh, flavor characteristics or imparting of that like during the char process um, because we we sat there as the toasting was happening and then you also said, oh, watch this guy, he's going to speed it up. So kind of talk about like what that is like when the charring happens. Yeah, so the natural fires um, we think are important for a few reasons, Um, not not the least of which is um, its sustainability. We're using our own offcuts, so we're not wasting that wood. When we shape ahead, we generate lit- little offcuts of white oak. That's what we burn. So we like that standpoint too. It's a bit more sustainable, um, but we do think it, it adds um, really desirable flavors, like we discussed. Kind of like grilling a steak on a gas grill or a exactly. charcoal. And I so, prefer the charcoal. You yeah, so everyone has their, everyone has their own preference. In terms of what we do, though, you'll notice there was no timing and no temperature controls back there. There's nothing. Yeah, a lot of other people are trying to remove the human element from this, kind of make it idiot-proof or something. We want a human element. We want our guys to be looking and smelling, especially. We want them to know when they've hit that sweet marzipan note, and then they let it ignite. So we've kind of made a conscious decision to not have any timing or temperature controls there. We want the human element because these guys have, have been doing it for years. Yeah, um, as they say, it's, it was a very unique process and actually watching yeah. it happen because, yeah, typically this is all something that is on some sort of automated belt system. But no, I mean, it's literally guys yeah. rolling the barrels over mm-hmm. and hand putting them over mm-hmm. top of the fires yeah. and then kind of like stepping back for yeah. a few seconds, letting it do its so thing. It's a tough and job then, in the summer. like, jump in there yeah. and get a smell. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's like <laughs> 10 huge fires. I'm scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like keeping my arm here today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's good in the winter, tough in the summer. So how long, like you said, these guys know what they're doing. Like how mm-hmm. long do you think it takes a new guy to kind of get the feel for it or the one of the guys on the fires today is relatively new. It's maybe his second week on the fires. Okay. And he you can tell he's jumping around a bit <laughs> compared to the other guys that have been yeah. doing it longer. So a couple of months. Gotcha. If he can last the summer, he'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess that kind of goes into like an employee rotation. Is it, is where, is somebody coming in? It's like, I don't want to say it's like a Ford factory line, but it actually is a factory line. Right. And do they have one responsibility and like, that's all they do for their time here? Or is it kind of like, okay, like we're going to rotate you around. So we, everybody kind of has uh, yeah, an we, understanding. We don't rotate a ton, but everyone can do everything. So if there are 
backups, everyone can filter back and clear the backup. Mm-hmm. So we, we, have, we have a couple of floaters, but most everyone has an assigned position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess because it's so labor intensive and like you want to keep that human element, uh, I do Paul's yard and we all know, like, <laughs> you know, labor's hard to come by these yeah. days. And, yeah. so and I, like, I cut my own lawn, for example. I can't right. find anyone to do it. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so how, talk about the labor, you know, cause manual labor is not like the, the most appealing thing these days. Is it? Yeah. No, most of our guys are 15 plus years with us. Okay. So we have very, very low turnover and that's key f- for what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, that some of them are 20 plus years. So that, that's been really a, a great boon for us, having that stable workforce. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I also kind of want to talk about, uh, back to the business a little bit in regards to scale. We, we've been talking about like the, the newly built barrels. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about a little bit of the sourcing uh, aspect, kind of like what is what is the magnitude of barrels that you have coming in per day that you're buying mm-hmm. on the, the market from distilleries that you have relationships with? Right. And then sort of, where does the journey go from there? Yeah, so used barrels are coming in from everyone, all the major distilleries and a lot of craft distilleries too. We do about 400,000 a year. Um, so they're coming in constantly. It's a constant f- flow that we need. Uh, most of those are going to Scotland and Ireland, the used barrels, but a lot of them are going different places too and anywhere they're making spirits. Um, so a lot are going to Asia, uh, a lot to Australia, you know, especially down to Tasmania, um, which has got kind of a burgeoning craft uh, whiskey market. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. It's your next trip, maybe, <laughs> Tasmania. Um, what is their whiskey called? Just whiskey? Uh, just whiskey. Just whiskey. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. know, like, you yeah. know, scotch, bourbon. Yeah. You know, yeah. I didn't no, know if there was, like, whiskey. Tanza or something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put it on the bourbon pursuit credit card. Yeah. yeah. We need airline, airline miles. <laughs> exactly. So they're they're going out on 40-foot shipping containers, 210 barrels to a container. They fit perfectly as if it was made to hold barrels. Uh, and they're going all over, over the place, ready to fill. So they open container doors, roll the barrels off, fill them right away. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people love uh, of a used bourbon barrel. They know it's only been used once. They know it's American oak. They know it's got that nice, sweet uh, bourbon flavor in it. So it, it's it's a key taste component of Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey now, because they've been doing it for years. And so when somebody is, or when you're buying these barrels from somebody, I think we had talked about earlier, is there a, is there a sweet spot of, of what you want to be able to to purchase? We just need them fresh. Um, you know, the, the, there'll be a mix of different age barrels in there and different locations, but we just need fresh. Doesn't matter um, if it's a no. four-year-old barrel or a 20 year No. Okay. No, not, not really. The only people that really question that are beer guys um, that are looking for something special. Yeah. Gotcha. A lot of times we can't tell what's been in the barrel. If it comes right. from a big distillery, you know, we don't know what run that was or what, what label it was. Well, and I would imagine that you're not, putting that much attention to set and they're trying to decipher stamps on the top of them <laughs> either reading to, dates yeah no we're we're cranking they're, yeah. they're they're not sitting for long you know they're they're flying through here and so you also not only just get bourbon barrels talk about the other kinds of barrels shopify's already taken the cash register online helping millions sell billions around the world But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. 
Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. And so you also not only just get bourbon barrels, talk about the other kinds of barrels that you have coming in because, uh, you know, we've, we we're good friends with, with Bill and other folks from Fourgate Whiskey, which mm-hmm. I know that you've had uh, a hand yeah. in, uh, helping them launch their products mm-hmm. and, and they got some unique barrels from you as well. So kind of talk about that process of, of how yeah, you so, you know, we're, we're always tapped into people who have different interesting barrels, you know, sherry or port that they've done some, some finishing with. So we'll bring those in when we find them and uh, find new homes for them. So like Fortgate, I think we found some ex-sherry, I think they were, um, for that first release they did. It was like ex-sherry, ex-rum, like I had yeah, a bunch of different it, it things going a, on. And, yeah. you know, and we smelled that barrel. It tasted, it smelled great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have people like, um, you know, Copper and Kings are always looking to do, not strictly bourbon, I know, but, um, you know, they, they will try anything with a barrel, uh, any type of barrel. They've got really interesting collaborations going on. And then people like Barrel Bourbon that do a lot of blending, always looking for interesting and unique barrels. And a lot of the beer guys like to do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, we've had all sorts of barrels come in uh, from all, all different places. Talk about some of the craziest ones you've seen. <laughs> uh, we made, we did, we, uh, we called it a zebra barrel for Copper and Kings, where we took um, new staves and used staves and alternated them oh, okay. around the That's barrel. Interesting. Uh, we've taken a red. What used, was? Do you know? Do you know what like the outcome of that was, or is it still still, still waiting? TBD. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be patient in this, uh, <laughs> in this business, as you know. Um, and then we've taken a used red wine barrel and a used white wine barrel and alternated those staves. We've done, we did with Copper and Kings again, we did a Phoenix barrel, we called it, where we took one of their old sherry barrels. We took two old sherry barrels. We knocked one down and cut the wood up, used that wood as fuel for the fire, and then shaved out the other one and recharged it over that uh, sherry wood. That's where the Phoenix name came <laughs> yes. from because I've I've seen the uh, the Phoenix uh, barrels from yeah. from from them, uh-huh. but I had okay. no idea like what the yes. connotation was yes. or where that it was coming was, from. That was it. Yeah. So you know, we say to customers, anything you can think of, we'll try it. You know, because we're always learning, and it makes it interesting for us. Has there ever been one that somebody came with an idea, and you're like? No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of the ideas you can tell are marketing driven, where they they're looking for something different. So, sinking barrels to age them underwater. Okay. Um, yeah. I just don't think there'll be much oxygen exchange through those staves. Yeah. So that one, that one didn't do much for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you you can usually tell when it's marketing driven mm-hmm. as opposed to you know distiller and tasting driven the pirate ship you think, release, uh, yeah. them going across you know in a shipping container on a on a ocean liner or whatever boat they get you know like the old jefferson's ocean smells <laughs> like it's salty do yeah. the barrels Unfo- pick up any salt yeah, yeah <laughs> unfortunately the, they're empty but yeah i mean and the the jefferson's was a cool one too yeah that, yeah we we did those barrels and that was a you know makes sense that you know the rocking and the heat it's mm-hmm. going to do something different yeah, but these are also going in container ships, so hopefully they're isolated and sealed to a degree where it's not. Yes, it's not getting it, right. You're not getting too much sort of uh, manipulation to it as it's as it's making I its trek across. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out? Yeah, I not well. <laughs> Went right over I, my I, head. It's not like on point. So you, we've talked about Scotch. We've talked about Irish whiskey. Um, what about like? Asia and Japan, like, are there is there a huge market that you're selling there too? Yeah, we we send a lot of barrels into Japan. Uh, done into Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar. They're making tons of whiskey all over Asia, uh, and we've done a, There's a lot decent of volume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and if they all start drinking whiskey, it'd be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the. It, it's always it's always funny to talk about like it's and I mean it, it kind of goes back to just global and economic trade too how it's actually cheaper to buy barrels used here and then have them shipped all the way across the world yeah. than it is to actually have your own local local cooperage, cooperage yeah. that yeah. are in like some of these countries so kind of talk about like 
the economics there like because you you've had to and your brother had to help build and grow this business to to really what it is today and start your own cooperage and you know the the man hours you know the uh, were you all the ones the lobbying for new uh, charred oak barrels you uh, know no, back in the I, day I, I'm <laughs> when very, they when I'm they very happy that, that yeah. rule is in place yeah um, <laughs> that's a great rule you know a lot of these places don't have oak you know so that that's a huge obstacle right uh, there yeah. you know they just don't have a supply of oak American oak is great because it's growing everywhere right mm -hmm. now you know so there is a good supply. So that's your first hurdle. And then obviously the labor is a, is a big deal, trained labor and equipment. You'd need specialized equipment. So we used to ship a lot of used barrels knocked down. We would knock them down, lay them flat on pallets, and they'd be reassembled in Scotland or yeah, wherever. Yeah, I've heard about that happening too. That, that's basically disappeared because there's so few coopers and cooperages left in Scotland. So there's no one left who can um, do that anymore. So that, that's a big obstacle um, as well. There just aren't skilled coopers to the same degree as there once was. You don't think people, you're knocking them down, you're like, okay, one, two, like just yeah. name, numbering the staves. Yeah. Like, this is how it's going to order. But no, it actually takes like a, yeah. somebody that's like an Sorry. Ikea yeah. box. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and There's no direction. <laughs> and some places we, uh, we did number the staves, but it's still hard. Right. You can never get them tight again um, without specialized equipment and, and knowledge. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, even going through there and and watching the process of, um, you know, first actually having somebody. Well, you I mean you have everything that comes from using the planing to uh, knowing exactly the grade and exactly the angle of all these mm -hmm. different staves need to be. So that's actually that's probably step five of the process. Yeah. So you got everything between there, uh, but then yes, it actually comes to the person where he is pushing or looking at eight to 10 staves at one time and knowing exactly like it's a, it's a game of Jenga or a puzzle and how and, to put it And you together. watched new barrels being done, which the staves are straight on a used barrel when you're doing it when right. they're curved, they're curved it's yeah. that much harder. Yeah, and then they probably like yeah. swell or do different yeah. things well, on it's the just harder, harder to actually physically manage them. A straight stave you can mm -hmm. kind of make stand up with curved one it's it's trickier yeah it's 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 like putting together like a pile of bricks that fell down well, it's yeah. like when you return something out of a box and you're like how did this damn thing get in here like <laughs> it's, it's, you it's, know it's exactly that you're like, yeah there's you, no uh, way you'll never get it in the exactly. same way yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean the economies in itself it, i always it, it did make sense to say let's just break them on down we'll ship the mm -hmm. ship the hoops we'll ship mm -hmm. the staves yeah and then reassemble over there but now that you you say it it's like, yeah, once once you do have basically, because we saw the process of what it actually takes to bend the wood, mm -hmm. um, where you steam it. And then once mm -hmm. it's steamed um, and, and it's and it's kind of like an imperfect form, then it goes into a machine where it actually does it, it bends it. And then mm -hmm. somebody sits there and puts the first hoop on, mm -hmm. you put the second and third hoops mm -hmm. on. And then from there, it starts going through more of the, mm -hmm. uh, the toasting and then quality control process mm -hmm. after that too. Yeah. So also kind of talk about the, the quality control because that's mm -hmm. a, it's always a, a huge factor of making sure that your customers are happy. Right. Um, knowing that you're not going to be shipping out a barrel that's going to be leaking. Yeah. Um, because we've we've had barrels, you go to the rick, the rick house and you're like, oh, shit, this one's empty. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so. a, a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Yes. We do an air, air and water pressure test. So we pump um, about 20 PSI of air into the barrel and we have a few inches of water in the bottom. So if there are any leaks, we'll see them bubbling out. If they're small grain leaks or, or a knot or something, we might be able to do a quick repair with a wooden spile. Otherwise, if it's something more major, like a, um, a porous stave or something, we'll take that stave out, open the barrel back up and, and do a repair. You know, we're, we're pretty conscientious about that because we have to be, you know, everyone's making a good barrel now, so... You can't have a leaker out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I scared the shit out of me. And they're like pumping air into those things. And like the bung just pops off. Yes. And it's like, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Somebody give me alert yeah. next yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep on your toes back there. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so to talk about some of the your customers uh, and, you know, we got a lot of local brands mm -hmm. we're looking at. Um, yeah. And why they chose you over somebody else or, you know. You know, I, th I think there is a, uh, an attraction to having a local cooperage. So we have a lot of local customers that like the fact that we're nearby. You know, mm -hmm. it's efficient. And also, if, if there are any issues, we're right here. You know, if they need a barrel quickly, we can we can do it. We can help them out. Um, a lot of them opened up 
during the barrel shortage and they couldn't get barrels anywhere. So they chose us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right place, right time. Right, exactly. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that local aspect is kind of an old fashioned where you would have a local Cooper, local cooperage that you worked with. So we do very, very well with Louisville. Uh, distilleries, you know, the, you know, Rabbit Hole, Peerless, Angels Envy, Mictors, all those guys are uh, very good customers. Copper and Kings, I mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- those are all great. And that for us, um, getting feedback regularly is really good. Having access to the spirit as it ages, you mm-hmm. know, being able to taste it um, is great for us to make sure we're doing things right. What's, you, you mentioned age right there. Talk about because I'm not too sure how many of the products that are out there that have uh, high age statements of, of that mm-hmm. were Kelvin Cooperage barrels. Right. Kind of talk about some of those um, because you, you named some of them that you yeah. did. And, and some of those are kind of like less than four years old. So yeah. is there anything that is, is beyond there at this point? Um, Peerless's bourbon will be four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do have other customers. We have customers um, overseas uh, that are doing longer extended aging and some finishing as well with our new barrels and our used barrels. So people are doing all sorts of different things. We, um, when Craft first started taking off, we were doing a lot of 25-gallon barrels, you know, kind of half size. Mm-hmm. People wanted quick aging. They wanted to get product on the shelves, start some cash flow uh, running. Um, so we were doing a lot of 25s. People seem to have graduated up to 53s now, um, which is kind of everyone's preferred um, size, there's something magical and about that. And the TTB that just came out something that has to be like in the 53. It's sort of, yeah, <laughs> we're getting there. It, it was proposed and there was a big uh, backlash. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's still comment period on that. Um, but so we, we're doing less and less 25s, more and more 53s. There's something magical about that. And I think people now are kind of um, seeing less young whiskey on the market. I think people are have the wherewithal to be patient and mm-hmm. wait the three, four years. From a from a process point of view, is it more difficult to say, okay, we're going to do a 25-gallon barrel run versus saying uh, we're just going to standardize on 53 and call it a day? Yeah, so- it's 25s are tough. You know, they're smaller. They're physically more demanding. You know, you're bending over a lot more. Mm-hmm. So the 25s are actually more expensive than the 53s um, just because we can make fewer in a day. Yeah. Um, in that case... But- but now it makes sense why Peerless is so damn good at three years old. It's your, yeah. it's your barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and some of them did release early, earlier than they thought they would um, because of the barrel. Cause, and I think it's that toasting uh, plus jarring yeah. on natural fires. I think it does speed things up a bit For sure. if, if you want that, uh, that option. Uh-huh. So it gives you a, a distillate or a bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. So now I just kind of like um, the wheels are kind of turning in my Uh-oh. head right here. Uh, <laughs> yep. So I'm I'm, I'm going to go back to like your 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 brother and your father mm-hmm. and starting mm-hmm. this. Um, I know that they had had apprenticeships in in doing cooperaging and stuff like that. Now was a lot of their stuff in just repair. Yeah, and in, in Scotland, it's typically repairing used barrels. And then so at what point? Who was who was the mentor or taught anybody to say, this is how we build barrels. This is how we're going to do things. That would be my brother kind of figured that out on his on his own. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of like YouTube videos? <laughs> yeah. you know, just free, free YouTube, unfortunately. <laughs> Wiki, yeah. <Wiki-Hell.com. laughs> yeah. 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 I'm I'm not sure how he how he went about that. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think part of his training would have led him to that. You know, they they do a lot of training on different sizes of barrels and different techniques. So I think he would have just figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there was a lot of trial and error in the beginning that happily I, I wasn't here for. <laughs> so, <laughs> let him work all the kinks yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, and then I'll swoop in. Yeah, yeah, let me know when you got everything smoothed out. And <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. can just sit back and, and run a business at that point. Right. No, absolutely. And, and not only that is, you know, I kind of want to talk about the growth of like, where do you where do you kind of see this going? Because today, uh, you know, you we had talked about that. You know, it is a smaller cooperage than some of the ones mm-hmm. out there. However, um, you know, we we took a we took a tour. There's there's barrels just entering and leaving mm-hmm. like constantly. It's it's a right. it's a it's a constant flow. And I'm sure there's going to be a point where you think you're going to be busting at the seams. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that 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 point coming? Um, and, and what could possibly be the, the yeah, we, we've been feeling that for about eight years now. <laughs> um, and we just keep rolling with it. You know, the, it's been an incredible boom that 
whiskey's been on, uh, not only bourbon, but Scotch and Irish whiskey, which is a big driver of our used barrel market. You know, we were grew up in Scotland, so you learn to be pessimistic. So we expect it to end any day now, but it just keeps going. So knock on wood, yeah. uh, it keeps going. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is it, so you're just kind of keeping the regular churn going? Yeah, you know, we're always looking to grow. If you're not growing, you're, mm-hmm. you're losing ground. So, you know, we're upgrading equipment all the time, looking at new markets all the time, uh, making sure we're securing enough oak all the time. You know, that's a constant, a constant battle. Yeah, talk about securing oak a little bit, because I, I would imagine that, um, you know, it's it's not like the the new construction of a house market where that's, probably a lot more demanding than what it is to get, um, you know, oak for, for, for barrels, but kind of talk about how sourcing wood plays in, into a lot of well, you know, it, It's tricky just because the production capacity has increased so much over the last few years. These new mega cooperages keep being built that are, you know, churning out a lot of barrels and need a lot of staves. So competition for good stave logs is, is fierce. We work with uh, four or five stave mills that we've worked with for years. Uh, and they're pretty loyal to us. They're typically second-generation businesses like us, so there's a lot of commonalities. Uh, we work well together. So we've even during in the first shortage, we were able to keep going and, and grow our production. So we're hoping that we're well positioned to keep doing that. But you know, competition for those logs is, is tough. Prices are going up. So um, and then if you have a wet winter and you can't get into the forest, that complicates matters as well. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. A wet yeah. winter. We just went through two of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it has an effect on getting logs out the, the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you you know, you have a bit of seasonality and um, shortages, which you have to try and plan for. Do do prices reflect that as well when, you, when you're trying to buy an open market? Like as in, as in saying like, oh, sorry, we couldn't get there. So our, our logs or our staves are now X versus Y. Yeah. I mean, the, the stave guys, um, pass price increases onto us. We have a hard time passing them on to our customers, <laughs> right. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, typical yeah. uh, business. And so uh, when you, when you talk about just prices in general, uh, so Ryan and I, we want to go and we want to, we want to buy barrels for, for a whiskey brand. And this could be anybody that wants to start a new brand and they want to come to you kind of what's, what's, where do you start off? Like how, how do you figure out, is it, is it 10 barrels? Is it a hundred barrels? Yeah. Where do we cut you a break or is there a baseline? It's just, no, X, when we, 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 we have customers that buy one or two barrels at a time and we have customers that buy tens of thousands at a time. So, you know, we run the gamut. No order too small or too large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sound like you a handyman. Get your yeah. checkbook out, Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. Might be coming out here with you. But but what's what's an average cost of a barrel? Let's just say run of the mill. Well, we we are on a new barrel. We are not the cheapest producer out there um, because our vol- volumes are smaller and our barrels a bit different. So we are you're over two hundred dollars a barrel mm-hmm. with us. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can do under 200 other places and we know that we don't try and compete on that lower price end, uh, cause we're not making barrels for the big, uh, legacy distillers we're making for craft guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel like that's, that's a good niche to kind of carve out in regards to that, because you can, you can kind of create something that's a more of a unique spin on, on the typical. Yeah. And it's more interesting for us rather than just one trip down to Barstown selling all our production in one fell swoop. You know, that's yeah. not very interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's like a good thing and it's a bad thing. Right. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. it keeps it interesting. Uh, the other thing, it's kind of like, man, it's a lot of phone calls to yeah. deal with. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. a lot of freight and shipping logistics, but, you know, that's fine. It keeps mm-hmm. us busy. Wow, it definitely keeps you busy. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure with You got to get a good CRM database, you know, <laughs> to keep up with what, everyone. What's that? <laughs> uh, customer relationship. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that one went for your head. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's all in Excel spreadsheet. That's how I work. That's or, yeah. or Google Sheets. Yeah. That's how we're, I work. We're the same. Well, yeah. I have to deal with 2,000 people. So I got <laughs> I to get a hey. elaborate system to keep I'm, track of them all. I'm sure Kelvin's not far behind that too. I mean, it's, it's yeah, that's true. It's, yeah. it's a it's a growing industry. And yeah. um, I mean, even if we're looking at a lot of the bottles on the tables around here, you've got a lot of customers um, yeah. and yeah, and do. it's it's not it's not just the big brands. It's, it's people that are trying to carve out a, a new place in the market. Um, and so you, you do have a lot of people that are trying new things and I know that you're, you're helping them do that. So kind of give mm-hmm. us your take on 
the market in regards of secondary finishing because mm-hmm. I know that is uh, you know you source a lot of these barrels yeah. Yeah. and some people look at it as a as a way to kind of make that differentiation into the marketplace too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a great move for bourbon. It's um, you know they've been doing it in Scotland and Ireland for a, a long time, kind of the blending tradition, and uh, I think this finishing is a is a part of that, an extension of that. Um, and I think it's a good thing for, you know, people over here to be experimenting with. And you taste some of the stuff that's coming out, you know, that, that four gate we mentioned before, that tastes great. Um, mm-hmm. Barrel bourbons, uh, different expressions. Mm-hmm. They're all something different. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a great yeah, they're dovetail they're release. Dovetail. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's, something that's unique. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think it's great. And it gives us something interesting for us to be involved in. So it's something different. Mm-hmm. So we, we like that. No, absolutely. I mean, there's you've got you've got two sides of the market here. You've got you've got the people that look at it and saying, "Oh, it's a non-distilling producer. They want to they want to cover up. They want to mask, you know, right. whatever it is that they're buying." Um, I I kind of look at it as the other side to say, as a non-distilling producer, you can't just come out with something that is just like everything else. <laughs> yeah, and um, you, you can't you can't get away with being untransparent though. You know, people expect to know what's mm-hmm. in in the the bottle, and so you have to tell them. You can't you can't hide it anymore, mm-hmm. the way people were doing, you know, six seven years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, it's yeah. a much more savvy market out yeah. there. Um, you know, there's even people now that they go to distilleries and they go and look at warehouses and and they'll see the Kelvin Cooperage logo on there yeah. now, and they're going to know it. Like, yeah. They're going to understand exactly where it comes from. Like so, yeah. so the name is getting out there a lot more yeah. too. All, all these yeah. podcasts are adding to this. <laughs> yeah. so spread the gospel. <laughs> yeah. It's like every week you're on a new podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, and it's definitely cool to to see that and see the growth of of what's been happening. Uh, you know, not only just to the growth of of your Cooperage, but just to the the bourbon industry as well. Um, and, and if we start looking at 10 years down the line, where do you kind of see Kelvin at that point? That's a tough one. Because you've been here for what, 18? Is that yeah. what it was? And so. I, don't, I, I don't know where the market will be. That That's the tricky bit. Yeah. You know, will we still be booming? Will Scotland and Ireland still be booming? If people keep drinking, we'll be fine. <laughs> um, but it, it's a tough one. I think to it's predict. a safe bet. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what the market will look like next year. But you know we're we're gung ho. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ten years is a tough one. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. So other nice th- thing is about you know you get to when there's the the, the distillers they have to forecast like even yeah. further down the line. So yeah. the nice part is you get the money like right now. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, somewhat, somewhat, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you're like, here's the I build it today, sell it yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. You know? so. yeah, and then wait for payment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that part. Yeah, net thirties they kill you sometimes. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's longer than that. It doesn't <laughs> exist in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, it's not. but you know, I wanted to say thank you so much for for coming on the show today. It yeah. was a, my pleasure. Thank you. I mean, it was really for us and and giving us a tour of the operation, the facility, mm-hmm. um, because I. I don't think that you're open to the public for a lot of people just to come in and look at it. Oh, we're, no. we're not for obvious reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you are, bring your black shoes. Yeah. 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 Make yeah. sure. Make no sure flip flops. Yeah. No. Make sure you send the emails way beforehand. And yeah, yeah you come with some steel toe boots yes, or something because exactly. it is uh, it is an actual factory. It is a, it is a. Uh, we're a, a working for profit cooperage. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's, there, there's no, hey, everybody grab your hard hats and let's go ahead and yep. st- station number one over here. <laughs> nope. None of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I said, it was, it was fantastic to be able to do that. Uh, and, and again, give us the idea of, of not only the scale, but the craftsmanship that goes on here too. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's not a, it's not an automated line where you're just pumping stuff out just to pump it out. But instead there's, there's a lot of detail that's paid attention uh, by the people that are, that are actually taking care of it day by day. So thank yeah. you again for doing that. Uh, if people want to know more about Kelvin Cooperage online, social media, anything like that, how, how do they find uh, out more about Kelvin that? com. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Easy yeah. enough. And there's some videos on there too. They get an idea of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you need, if you need barrels, he already told you the price. So yeah. just take that, multiply it by whatever you need. <laughs> I'm trying to do the math, man. How many we need? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we've got them. We'll load your car up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got my truck. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Don't come with a Honda Civic. That's yeah. what I can tell you. Yeah. We, we've put them in there before. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How, how'd that work out? Uh, tight, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Get a ratchet strap. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Very cool. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's like I said in the beginning, I mean, you, 
we've been to other Cooper's and it's so automated. This is like truly like an art. Like you can see like the individual craftsmanship in each barrel and it's like pretty cool. Like, uh, to kind of see that all stepping back in time. It is, it is. It's like amazing. And it like, and now when I drink a glass, I'll, I'll envision, I'll, I will vividly remember all those, you know, all the work and everything that's kind of gone into that glass. So no, it's, I very much appreciate giving us the time and the opportunity to see everything. And, uh, I'm glad business is well and hope it keeps going well, um, for all of us, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Otherwise we won't show up again. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So make sure you check out kelvincoopers.com and you can find out more about them. If you want to follow us, of course, bourbon pursuit on all the socials. And as well as if you like the show, you can help support it, be a part of our community, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit uh again thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to everybody next week 